The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. As we continue this study of David, we come now to the 25th chapter. You recall that last time we, read, we, we studied from the 23rd and 24th chapter about how to treat your enemy. And let me say to you, it's different than the way the world will teach you. You know, the world says destroy your enemies. The world says, dry, you know, the world says kill them. You know, take every advantage you can to get back at them. The Lord says vengeance is mine, I will repay. And that's what we saw with David and Saul, is that Saul, who was out to kill David, was out to destroy him and his men. He came to a place where he went into this cave where they were hiding, and, and instead of killing him like his men were encouraging him to do, he just cut off the hem of his garment, the, a piece of his, his robe that he had laid aside. And then he told him, he said, I, I'm treating you right. I'm, I'm treating you the way that God would have me to treat you, no matter how you treat me. Now, with that thought in mind, I want us to look this morning to the story of David and Abigail. There are three characters, actually, in this story. There's, there's Nabal, who is a foolish farmer. There's David, who you're going to see as a furious warrior. And there's Abigail, who we're going to see as a faithful wife. As we look at them, I think we can learn something maybe about how David and how we can be men and women after God's own heart. The beginning of chapter 25 is the death of Samuel. Samuel was a great mentor to David. Samuel, we might say today, he was a father in the ministry. He was someone who was uh, instrumental in David's life and career. And we read in verse 1 that Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, I don't know how David was feeling here, but I can tell you this. Remember where he is. David has, has fled from Saul in fear when he probably should have stayed put. He has, uh, he has uh, left Samuel after Samuel helped him deliver him from Saul. And he's left Samuel and he's gone to the wilderness. He was in a cave there by himself with men who were of low estate, men who were not godly in their outlook. They were lions, he said. He, they were men that didn't care about him. He said, no man cared for my soul. As I've said so many times, I love reading about David because we don't have to figure out what's in his mind. He wrote Psalms about it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he tells us in Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 that he was, a, he was uh, surrounded by lions in, in this cave. And he was, uh, uh, they, were, they, were, they didn't care for him. They just cared what he could do for them. I, I, know, I know how that feels. I know you know how that feels. There are times when, in the world when we are surrounded by lions. And he's now, his, last, his only friend or his closest friend was Jonathan. And he's seen him for the last time and been encouraged by it. But they've separated again. And now Samuel. The rock, the stalwart of his life has died. Now, I don't know if David went down to mourn him. I doubt he did because he would have probably been caught. But when the time came and he heard this, he arose and he went down to the wilderness of Paran. And now I want you to look at, for, at this. Uh, uh, this is south of Judah, by the way, down there south uh, in, in the lands uh, south of Jerusalem in that area. And we read about this foolish farmer here. It says, There was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. 
And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. Now look at this man, Nabal, here. <laughs> First of all, we see he was a wealthy man. He was in Maon, a place where David had been and his men were in this kind of in this area. And the farmers in this area, they were close to the Philistines and they sometimes hired uh, mercenaries, if you will, to protect them. That's exactly what David had been doing. If you flip over a page there to the 15th verse of chapter 25, it says uh, uh, this, this servant that goes to talk to Abigail, which we'll get to in a minute, says the men, that's the men of David in verse 15, were very good unto us and we were not hurt, neither missed me we anything as long as we were conversing with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us both by day and night and while, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. These men of David were protecting Nabal and his herds. He had, he had uh, 3,000 sheep. He had 1,000 goats, and he was in a dangerous place. And David and his men had been good to him. But notice the character of Nabal. And the word, by the way, Nabal, means fool. It means fool. I've said this to you young ladies before, and I say it to you again. If you ever... If you ever start seeing a man or dating a man or wanting to date somebody that uh, who has either the name Nabal, <laughs> run from it, all right? If somebody today would say, oh, that's fool over there. You, oh, I'm going to marry fool. <laughs> no, don't marry fool, okay? Now, they certainly wouldn't be named that today. But let me just say to you, young ladies, don't go looking for a man to marry for a husband among the fools of this world. Those that have a reputation for being fools, leave them alone. The word Nabal means fool. And later on, he's described as a son of Belial. And we've dealt with that on our Wednesday night service. Uh, many, in our study of Proverbs, we've, we've dealt with that. That's a wicked person. That's somebody, that means, somebody who's worthless or destructive or wicked. And we're told also here that he was churlish and evil in his doings. The word churlish means hard severe, obstinate. You might say he was hard-headed. That's what you would say about this man, Nabal. He was a hard-headed, obstinate, wicked fool. And then we see David's reasonable request. Look at verse 4. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal. And greet him in my name, and thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity. So he knew he was a rich man. He said, Peace be both unto thee, and peace to thy house, and peace to all that thou hast. Now I have heard that thou hast shearers, thou thy shepherds which were with us. We hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them. All the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of, the, of David and ceased. Now notice that what's happening here. This was shearing time. The sheep were being sheared. They did that usually twice a, twice a year. And it was a festive event. It was kind of like a party. Everybody came together and they did that. So David sends ten men with a gracious message and a reasonable request. And it was reasonable for David to expect that they might, uh, they might honor this request because he'd been protecting them. And I want you to notice something else. <laughs> David didn't set a price. He didn't go out here and say, well, now look, I've been protecting you. You owe me $10 per sheep, you know, or $2 per goat or something like that. He just said, look, man, 
We deserve something for protecting your sheep. It's reasonable for you to do that. Other people are hiring mercenaries to, uh, to take care of us. Said, so, so you just, but you just pay me what you think is fair. You know, that's a reasonable request, isn't it? <laughs> he had 3,000 sheep. He had 1,000 goats. He could easily spare a few of these to feed 600 men who had risked their own lives to protect part of his wealth. Even common courtesy dictated hospitality. For heaven's sake, they were having a party. They were having a festival. It's time to invite them in. Say, well, y'all come on in. If nothing else, come on in and join us because you've been helping me. But I want you to notice Nabal's ridiculous response. <laughs> ridiculous in our eyes and in the eyes of anybody who has any sense of fairness. Now, remember the description of Nabal as a son of Belial. Now, that doesn't refer to just your normal wickedness. That doesn't refer to your normal level of evil. That refers to somebody who is deliberately breaking the law, who despises the law, who uh, despises that which is good. And in fact, in the New Testament, if you look over in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's the 6th chapter and about the 15th verse, uh, Belial is used to describe Satan himself. It's a name that's described to Satan. So rather than gratitude, look at verse 10. And see what he did. Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and given unto men whom I know not whence they be? Now listen to this, this response. Rather than gratitude, Rather than gratitude, as he should have been gracious and, and grateful to them for what they've done, he just, we're told later in verse, uh, uh, verse 14, when the young man goes to tell, to tell Abigail about it, said that he railed on them. He accused them of being rebels. He said, I hear all the time about people like you, David, that are just trying to establish something for themselves. I'm not interested. It was contempt that he heaped upon him. And that word railed on them is the Greek is, is the Hebrew word eat. And that word eat is a primitive word that means to swoop down upon. And it's the Hebrew word that describes the shrieking of a bird of prey as it swoops down on its victim. He shrieked at them. He, 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 he poured contempt upon them. And notice all the personal pronouns in these two verses. Verse 11, my bread, my water, my flesh that I have killed. See, me, me, me. Me, me, me. He was bowing down to the altar of the trinity of me, myself, and I. That unholy trinity that gets all of us from time to time. This foolish farmer. <laughs> and, and I can just see him sitting there shearing those sheep and being contemptuous. Get away from me. I'm not interested in these rebels like David, the son of Jesse. Well, he didn't realize what he was risking because he was coming up against a furious warrior here. Look at verse 12. So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all these things. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. I just want to say to you, David wasn't going to a party, okay? He wasn't going to a party. He wasn't saying, hey, let's go down there and reason with this man. Right. He said, you get your guns and you load them and you get them ready and let's go. In fact, in verse 21, David 
we'll read, David had said, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him, and he hath requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of them that pertain unto him by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. He's saying, I'm going down there and I'm killing every male. Every one of them. I'm not leaving him anything. I'm not leaving him anybody. I'm going to take my sword and I'm going to come down myself. He didn't just send people. He said, I'm taking my, uh, my own sword and I'm going to kill every man in that camp, every man, every boy, and I'm going to show him who's boss. Now let's time out just for a minute, okay? Remember what we said when we started this message? You remember last time? I want you to notice the inconsistency here. Last chapter, David came into personal contact with the one man in all the world that hated him the most and was trying to kill him. He came into contact with Saul and had an opportunity to kill Saul, and yet he forgave Saul who wanted to kill him, and now he wants to kill Nabal when all Nabal did was refuse to feed him. He forgave the one main enemy. He forgave the, the really bad guy. And then he got his feelings hurt. And he went down and he says, I'm going to kill this foolish man. Isn't that so much like us? Don't you find yourself acting so godly and Christ-like sometimes that you just, you just can't believe how good you are? <laughs> you, know? you ever been there? Whoo, man. <laughs> wow. I'm a godly man. <laughs> I forgave this guy. Oh, you know, look at me. I mean, you know, you may not say that, but you, that's the way you feel it, you know. And, and, let, and let, me not, let me not blow it out of proportion either. Let me just say that there are times when we act in a godly way. There are times, listen, I want to I say to you this morning, I don't feel a whole lot of temptation right here. I feel wonderful right here in the pulpit with you. I know you're praying for me. I know you're interested in these things. We're having sweet fellowship and the Holy Spirit is here. I really feel on a mountaintop this morning. Often on Sundays, mornings, and Sunday nights, I leave here saying, praise God, what a mountaintop experience. But do you know when my biggest temptation comes? You know when I have the biggest struggle with sin in my life? You say, was it Monday morning when you go back to work? Yeah, I have a struggle then. And sometimes in the middle of the week when it's worn off, yeah, I have struggles then too. You know when my biggest fights come? On Sunday nights before I go to bed. You ever notice that? You're up on the mountaintop on Sunday. We have a special meeting sometimes. That, man, that fellowship meeting a few weeks ago was awesome. Oh, it was amazing. And then we had, that was Saturday, then we had Sunday services. Sunday morning, Sunday night. We had wonderful time of fellowship. We had visiting pastors here. We had, we've had Brother Ricky Harcrow here. We've had Elder Darren Owens here. We've had some wonderful messages. What a mountaintop experiences they are. But I promise you, Sunday night before I go to bed, I'm already struggling with sin. I'm already struggling with it. Sometimes my greatest battle comes after the highest mountaintop experience. Notice David here. I'm glad to see I'm not the only one. David had just won probably the, you know, you think Goliath, the, the victory against Goliath was amazing. The victory against his own men who were urging him to kill Saul, 
the use of self-restraint, the use of temperance, the, the implementation of God's rule and God's law against Saul the king was a greater battle than Goliath will ever be. The battles we fight with ourselves, beloved, are sometimes the hardest battles of all. And now, just a short time later, he's able to forgive the one that was trying to kill him. But he's gotten his feelings hurt and he's let his anger get the best of him. And he didn't consult the Lord and he rushed out to satisfy his passions. He's going to kill this man. You know, God's servants need to always be on guard lest the enemy suddenly attack and conquer us. You know what we're told about the enemy, don't we? And what Peter says about him in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober, be vigilant, always be on guard because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, what does a lion do? A lion doesn't really... You know, he's a roaring lion. You hear him out there, but then, then when he's ready to slip up on you, you're not hearing him very much, are you? That's right. and, and no, no prey. I don't, I've never, you know, I love those nature shows on National Geographic <laughs> Channel. I have yet to see an impala go running into a lion's den and get eaten. They don't, you know, I, I don't see the impalas out there saying, oh, there's a lion's den. Let me leap over there and jump in it, you know? They're always running from the lion, right? Yeah. When they see the lion, they flee. They have a system set up of warning where when they, they see it, they start warning the others and they flee. It's the lioness or the lion that's able to slip up in the place where they are that gets them every time. Let me tell you about your adversary, the devil. He'll slip up on you where you are. He does it to me all the time. And he doesn't care how high a spiritual mountaintop you've been on. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your human nature and the sin-cursed nature better than you know it yourself. And he'll slip in there on Sunday night and get you. He'll slip in there on Sunday night and stir up contention within your family. He'll slip in there on Sunday night and cause you to be thinking wicked and immoral and evil thoughts. He'll slip in there on Sunday night and he'll get you. You know, when the most depressed I've ever been, and I don't suffer generally from depression that much, but you know when the most times of depression come upon me is on Sunday nights. <laughs> Sometimes I've been flying back from a great meeting and just kind of get down, you know. There's something about that. But it's the devil, our adversary, who is out to destroy us. And, and, and think about what was about to happen here. David was about to go down to a, to a citizen of Israel and, to, and wipe out his camp. What more would Saul need from a public relations standpoint to prove what he'd been saying all along. I've been telling y'all. Let me tell you what David did. He goes down to this wealthy farmer. He, he could get out there and say, listen, let me tell you what David did. He took his men, these ruffians, these rebels, and they went down there and wiped out one of your fellow citizens, one of your prominent citizens, destroyed his camp. That's all Saul would have needed to use against David to legitimize Saul's chasing David throughout this country. But I want you to see something that God did here through a faithful wife. Praise God, there was this young lady, this young wife named Abigail. Now before we get too hard on her for Mary and Nabal, remember that marriages were arranged in that day. She probably didn't have much choice in marrying this fool, this foolish man. But I want you to see 
what happened as we continue reading about this. Verse 14, But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were, they were a wall unto us both by night and day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. This man is so foolish and wicked and obstinate and stubborn, you can't tell him anything. You can't tell him a thing. And, and, and yet, this young wife that he had, this young girl, this young lady, Abigail, was a woman of wisdom. And it was evident to the people who even worked for Nabal that Nabal was a fool, but Abigail was wise. And so he reported to her, he knew she was a wise and a prudent woman, according to verse 3. Uh, she was a wise and a prudent woman, and, and she was even wise enough, as we continue to read here, that she knew better than to go to her husband because he would have opposed what she wanted to do. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready, ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servant, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. She knew better. It was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the cover of the hill and behold, David and his men came down against her and she met them. This young, wise wife came to this great king who was furious at this point on behalf of her foolish husband who she couldn't even herself talk to. She went to, to this king. She knew she couldn't go to her husband, but she knew that she needed to do something. And as David was preparing for war, Abigail was suing for peace. She was, you know, there's, a, there's really something to what Jesus said in chapter 5 of Matthew when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let, let's just, let me just say to you, child of God, we ought always to be peacemakers like Abigail. She was a wise young woman. She put together enough food for David's men. She didn't say anything to her husband. She wasn't stealing from her husband, but she was simply paying a debt that he refused to pay. And then we see her humility as we continue to read. We've already read David's response here. But in verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. I want you to notice something throughout this passage here. This, this young lady was a faithful wife. She was married to the most foolish man I read, one of the most foolish people I read about in the Word of God. She had every right to disparage him as far as the world looks at it. She had every right to, to go to David and say, listen, I can't do anything with this idiot. <laughs> You go down there and do whatever you want to do to him, it would make my life a lot easier. <laughs> you know? She didn't do that, though. She was always faithful. What a lesson. What a lesson, ladies, about how, we, how you should treat your husbands. Now, let me just say to you also, men, before I, you know, it's, it's very self-serving for me to say uh, to my wife, 
even when I'm a fool, you need to stand by me and take care of me. Not that I've ever been a fool, but I guess I don't need to lie in the pulpit, do I? Uh, <laughs> over in First Peter chapter 3, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Here's the same situation. We got a man here named Nabal that does not obey the word of God. We got a wife that's faithful to the word of God. Here in 1 Peter 3, we've got a man who obeys not the word, a husband who obeys not the word, and a wife who is encouraged and admonished, not just encouraged, to uh, be faithful to him. It says, uh, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. This is a whole message in and of itself, but I'll say this to you ladies. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches us clearly, men, it applies to us too. The Bible teaches us clearly that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Do you know that includes your spouse? Did you know that? Sometimes, oh, well, I'm going to be gentle to all men and women out there. But it includes our families. It includes our wives, our children, our parents. It includes everybody, you see. Must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. It says here that they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. If you have an unbelieving husband, it's not inappropriate to talk to that husband about the Word of God, but if it becomes a strife, he says you're to win them without the Word. It's not to be a constant battle. It's not to be a constant argument. It says the way you win them without the Word is verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. I know of ladies whose husbands were not faithful, were not interested in the Word of God, were not interested in the church of God, and they didn't constantly argue about it. But, they, but that, that faithful dear sister continued to go to church and continued to serve the Lord, and eventually the Lord blessed in that the husband came around as well. You see, I've known several situations like that. I've also known situations where the wife says, well, he just doesn't want to go to church, so I guess until he gets ready, I'm not going to either. No, let me tell you something. Husbands or wives, don't you forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I don't care. You say, well, my husband won't go with me. I don't care. You go anyway. My wife won't go with me. I don't care. You go anyway. Well, I've just got to, I've got to go with her. I've got to go with him to one of the denominational churches of the world. Don't do that. They will behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. If they're children of God who've been born of the Spirit, that's the way to win. This sweet sister, Abigail, was a young lady who never once disparaged her husband. Not one time will you read, one time she admits the truth about him, but she doesn't go out to David running him down. Notice her humility. She fell at his feet. She uses the word Lord 14 times in this whole speech to David, re referencing David. She calls him Lord. And she was an honest woman. In verse 25, she says, Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. She didn't lie for him. She didn't say, oh, he's a whole lot better than you realize he is. She knew he wasn't. But she said, she didn't run him down either. She just told the truth about him. She was honest confessed that her husband was the son of Belial who lived up to 
his name, but she said, I didn't know about what was going on and I could have made a difference. And then she reminded David of what he already knew. Now therefore, verse 26, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all these days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And listen to this, verse 30. It shall come to pass, verses 30 and 31. It shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel that this shall be no grief unto thee nor offense of heart unto my Lord either that thou hast shed blood causeless or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. Notice what she's doing here. She's reminding David of what he already knows. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. She was a faithful woman. She had apparently heard about David, apparently heard what the God had said about David, had heard about his anointing by Samuel, and believed that David was God's king, and she saw King Saul as just a man. A man is risen to pursue thee. But notice what she did. She focused on David and the Lord and not on David and Nabal. And she emphasized the future of David. And she said, David, when, when the Lord has blessed you to be the actual king sitting on the throne, you're king already. And the Lord's going to bless you to be in Jerusalem. And when that happens, you don't want to do this thing now because you'll have regrets that will stay with you the rest of your life. Because vengeance is God's and not yours. You know, that's something that we would do well to remember, would it not? <laughs> we would do well to remember, as we said last time, that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And one of the things we're going to see in this story as we, as we wrap it up, one of the, you know, there's a lot of, the fact that God said it is a reason enough to leave vengeance in the hands of the Lord. But also remember this, child of God, God has a much better way of obtaining vengeance than we could ever work out for ourselves. Because we're going to see that in this, in this thing. And notice now David's repentance. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. You know, God providentially provides for us in a daily basis to prevent us from sin. Now, He's not going to hold us down and keep us from sinning, okay? And I, but I've experienced this before. I, you know, you ever had the time of anger where you, you're, fixing to, you're fixing to call up somebody and you're going to bless them out and, and the phone's out? <laughs> you ever notice that? Or, you, or the phone's busy or you can't get through. Or, you know, I've had the experience of typing up an email and I'm, I'm going to send this person tell them what I think, you know, and then Internet's down. You know, you ever had you ever had the experience of, of maybe you were uh, your mind had set you on the course of committing some sin and somebody shows up at the door. 
Somebody calls you on the phone, a brother or sister in Christ. Now you can overcome that. You can keep on your obstinate way if you want to. But I'd rather look at those things as God providentially sparing me from doing some kind of sin. See, that's what he did here through Abigail. Abigail came down through the providence of God, I believe. And that, in that sense, she was sent by God. In verse 33, she said, Blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself in mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hadst hasted and come to meet me, surely they had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light, any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which he, she had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. David repented. He thanked her for his, her wise advice. He remembered the proverb that says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. He did that, and he remembered that. And he repented of the evil he had planned for Nabal. Now, as we, as we bring this to a close, let's look at a couple of lessons here from this situation. I said this already. But beloved, leave vengeance in God's hand because He can render justice much better than you and I could ever do it in our own hands. Look at verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. <laughs> he thought he was a king. He thought he was something else. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. She came back after saving him, and, and instead of him clapping her on the back and hugging her and saying, thank you so much for your wisdom, I'm so sorry, he was drunk. She shows up, and he's, already, he's drunk. Wherefore, she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning light. I can see this poor sister going back and just shaking her head, maybe crying herself to sleep because of all the trouble this Nabal, this fool, had given her. Verse 37, but it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became as a stone and it came to pass about 10 days after that the Lord smote Nabal that he died. <laughs> now you think about this. David's getting ready to go kill this ungrateful, foolish, obstinate, wicked person. He's going to bring vengeance of his own down there to this place and all the attendant consequences would have fallen upon him. But because Abigail was wise and courageous and faithful, she goes down and she stops him and David's heart, like our hearts ought to be, was tender enough to realize I'm a fool and I've done something, I'm about to do something that I shouldn't do. And he turns back. And he, you know, I, I've said this before, you know, this idea of vengeance being in the hands of the Lord. Somebody says, well, I tried that one time and it never worked out. <laughs> well, you know, it hadn't, it hadn't yet, maybe. I've had that experience where I said, well, I'm just going to leave it in the hands of the Lord. And as far as I know, the vengeance hadn't fallen yet. But David only had to wait 10 days. <laughs> David had to wait 10 days. Because when Abigail goes back, maybe 11 days, he, he goes, she goes back and she tells him, uh, the next morning, and he has a stroke or something. He becomes paralyzed. He becomes as a stone. He goes into a coma. And he, 10 days later, he dies. The Lord smote him, we see. That's something we can take. We understand the Lord doesn't smite everybody that dies, but he smote him. And the vengeance fell, and all David had to wait was a week and a half. I wonder if David went back, and like I do sometimes, when I, even when I do the right thing and I leave it in the hands of the Lord, 
I wake up at three in the morning and I think, man, I wish I had, oh, oh man, I wish I had done something to that guy. I just wish I, oh, I just can't. He, you know what he did to me? I, maybe he sat around like I do sometimes with Sherry. Let me just tell you what he, what they did to me. You know, maybe he's talking to his friends there. And he said, so you remember that guy? Boy, what an idiot he was. Oh, it's, oh you know, I just want to wish I could go down there. and Oh, well, I just leave it in the hands of the Lord. Maybe one day. And ten days later, <laughs> ten day, week and a half later, the Lord has rendered justice in this situation. And David didn't have to do anything. And something else that David was spared from, you remember back earlier in this book, when all those priests had been wiped out at Nob, the family of Ahimelech, because of something David did, and David regretted it, I believe, for the rest of his life. You know, David was spared this time from all those kinds of regrets. And the last thing I want to leave you with is this. Abigail teaches us something very important. Look at verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And it says, as we continue reading, the servants of David were come to Abigail. They spoke unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode up on, rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. Now, Abigail's end was a good end. And I notice that's always funny. You know, I recognize that from time to time I can be a Nabal. But I really hope that when, the, when I pass from this life that Sherry doesn't, doesn't haste to go run into the king or somebody else, you know. I hope she at least mourns me just a little bit, you know. Maybe, a, maybe you know, a week or two, you know, something like that. But, uh, but notice that Abigail, Abigail wasn't too worried about the fact that Nabal died. I think she felt freed from her prison. And it says she arose and she hasted and went down to David to be his wife. But notice the blessing here. It doesn't always work that way. Your Nabal is not always removed. But Abigail teaches us that it is possible. You know, sometimes, and I've noticed this in our, in our marriages, some of us that have been married for a long time, we, do, we too, do tend to become more alike. We too, do tend to grow together. If your marriage is a healthy marriage, and you, do, you will tend to see things alike. Sometimes we finish each other, other's sentences and that sort of thing. I understand that. But child of God, if you are in a marriage that is a, not a good one, and you're married to a Nabal, Abigail teaches us that it's possible for a woman or any of us to maintain her spirit of love and grace even though she's married to a churlish fool. We don't have to become like Nabal just because we live with him. Now, I realize what the Bible says about evil communications corrupt good manners. That means the people you hang out with and the things you hear and see will corrupt your good nature. But it is possible to continue to serve God, even though you may be set in some wicked, difficult circumstances with a wicked Nabal of this world. That applies not just in our marriage. I hope you're not married to a Nabal, either a man or a woman here. I hope you're not. 
But if you are, Abigail tells us, we can continue to serve God and maintain our godly nature. But maybe your Nabal, maybe the way you're hooked up with the Nabal is in your job. Maybe it's in your, your job situation, where you work. I, I know how that is. I've been, I've been unequally yoked from time to time with people like Nabal who are not interested in the things of God. You don't have to be corrupted by that. You can maintain your godly outlook in life and your godly approach to life, even though you may be hooked up with a Nabal. This wise, wise woman saved a foolish king from doing something that he would regret for the rest of his life. And I'm thankful to know that, like David, I struggle with these things. I struggle with my passions and my anger. I struggle with the Nabals of this world. But like David, we can be men and women after God's own heart if we will maintain our focus on the Word of God. Let me say this to you, too. That's another reason we need the church. That's another reason we need today. We don't need to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because when we do, we'll get influenced by the Nabals of the world instead of by the saints of God in in the house of the Lord. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.